Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. Be sure to check out everything we do over at UndergroundUSA.com. Unless you've been living under a rock, or better stated, a red rock, you've been seeing the creeping influence of Marxism popping up all over our society. It really should be alarming, since the United States has risen to its stature on the freedom that capitalism affords, but just like the frog in the pot that has slowly come to a boil, most Americans don't recognize our slide into the nanny state Marxism system. I had the opportunity to chat with an old friend from back in my New Media Journal.us managerial days. James Simpson served as an economist in the White House Office of Management and Budget under three presidents. President Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and Bill Clinton. He's been regularly published in The Daily Caller, PJ Media, and The Washington Times. We spent our time talking about his new best-selling book, Who Was Karl Marx? The Men, the Motives, and the Menace, behind today's rampaging American left. James, thanks for coming on Underground USA. Um... Your book it couldn't be more perfectly timed for what the what the country is going through. Um, the book is called "Who Was Karl Marx: The Men, the Motives, and the Menace Behind Today's Rampaging." It's available at Amazon. Uh, James, give me a a I won't say Cliff Notes version because I don't think anybody understands what Cliff Notes are anymore. Uh, oh. Give me a summary of what the book is about, and then we'll get into some of the meat on this, because I've got a few things that I want to talk to you about that it applies to. Sure, Frank. Hey, well, listen, first of all, thanks for uh, having me, and it's great to be with you again. We haven't connected in quite a while. Uh, (laughs) Great to be talking with you. Who was Karl Marx? The men, the motives, and the menace behind today's rampaging American left. Well, that summarizes the book in two sentences. And I wrote it because, first of all, I wanted people to understand where all of what is happening, everything that is happening today comes from. And its originator was Karl Marx. And I wanted to explain to people, first of all, who what, what was Karl Marx like what kind of sick thinking <laughs> motivated 
him to inflict this ideology of communism on the world that has been responsible for more deaths during times of peace than all the wars of history combined, and not merely deaths, but grinding poverty, utter lack of resources, health, anything in all communist countries, grinding poverty, total oppression, complete lack of freedom. Uh, you know, when Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, he said, workers of the world unite, you have nothing to lose but your chains. Well, the workers of the world didn't unite because they really didn't want to become the uh, cannon fodder for a revolution. <laughs> but his revolution did not free anybody. It enslaved and continues to enslave everybody that falls under its power. And, and that is the legacy of communism. That is the legacy of Marxism. And I also wanted to get into the kind of mindset that accepts and is uh, enthusiastic, if you will, about uh, supporting and promoting Marxism, socialism, communism, progressivism. They're all the same thing. It's really a unique uh, mindset, but well, it's not unique. Unfortunately, it's all too common, but it is a very particular mindset that is open to that kind of indoctrination. When, we, when, you, when you look at Karl Marx, the, the man, yeah. Everybody, everybody kind of thinks, you know, they don't know a lot about him. So they think he was some kind of world leader when he came up with this. He wasn't. No, not, not in the least. He was, you know, he, he, Marx, you know, I went to college and I went to grad school. And when I was in grad school, you know, we'd go to the uh, student center and sit there and drink coffee and I'd study. And sometimes I'd, uh, uh, you know, I'd be hanging out with friends and we'd just be talking. But there was a small group of guys that hung out there all the time. And they were obviously 10, 20 years older. And they would sit around and talk about things. There was a guy that we called Ed the Red. He was probably <laughs> about 40. And he would show up there every day to try to challenge us on uh, our political thinking. And, you know... It's, it's kind of that kind of mentality. Marx never worked a day in his life. He never worked. He never stepped a foot inside a factory, uh, inside factory walls. He didn't know or associate with any of the so-called proletariat. He uh, had nothing but contempt for the bourgeoisie, yet he was the pinnacle of an example of a bourgeoisie. He was a spoiled brat, rich son of a wealthy German attorney who showered him with all the money he could ever want. He was a beer-swilling drunk and a lecher in college. He never accomplished anything except writing this malevolent 30-page doctrine with his co-conspirator Friedrich Engels. And then, of course, he followed it up some years later with this impenetrable 
three-volume justification for communism he called Das Kapital, which as an economist, I, I, it, it, he wasn't an economist. He doesn't know the first thing about economics. As an economist, I can tell you and anybody willing to listen that his entire idea is absurd. The whole communist economic notion is just absolutely absurd. It violates every basic tenet of economics. You brought up his his co-conspirator Engels. Yeah. Um, he gets a lot of the lion's share of the credit for for authoring the Communist Manifesto, but it was actually Engels who did most of it, wasn't it? Uh, well, uh, I'm I, honestly I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I know that Engels was his financial supporter. I mean, he ran through the money his father gave to him in no time flat, and he spent spent the rest of his life pilfering money from angles and hovering over ailing relatives waiting for them to die so he would see what he was going to get in their uh, wills um, i mean that that's that just sounds like so many people on on the radical left today oh yeah they're like the perennial a 30 year old 40 year old kid in his mother's basement <laughs> you know playing computer games and uh solving the problems of the world when they're not busy taking drugs or whatever. Um, Engels <laughs> was called a, a sort of a revolutionary party animal. He was also the son of a wealthy British industrialist. His motto was take it easy. He liked his lobster salad and he liked to fox hunt. He had regular Sunday parties for London's left-wing intelligentsia. And as one regular put it, no one left before two or three in the morning. You know, these guys were all the same. They were all very wealthy elitist who thought for some reason that gave them some kind of special insight into the world. And it really is nothing more than towering, almost megalomaniac, maniacal pride is the singular common characteristic of all these people, whether it's Stalin, Hitler, Lenin, Mao, Castro's, any of them, they're all the same. I mean, that's, and I, I know I said it earlier, but I, I'm just, it's jaw dropping how what you just explained here Yep. can can describe people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yep. everyone in everyone in her squad, Gavin yep. Newsom, the yep. Obamas. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're all elitists and I, you know, I don't know about AOC's uh financial background, but she has that same elitist attitude that believes that it knows what is best for everybody, despite any and all evidence to the contrary. And not only that, but they're entitled to inflict that on us, whether we want it or not, simply because they believe they know better. And it's this towering arrogance with co-located with an almost indescribable ignorance of the way things really work that is that is really the 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 heart of the toxic agendas that these people push because they really they know nothing but they are so steeped in their own pride and their own egos 
and the ego trips they get from fantasizing themselves as rulers of the world that uh, you can't dissuade them. It's the rare leftist that comes to his senses and realizes, oh, I was not only wrong, I was horribly wrong. Because what happens with people who are that pride? They become stubborn. They become even more resistant to the idea that they could be wrong. Because to do so then discredits everything they've said and done and makes a mockery of their lives. So they dig their heels in and get even worse. And then if they get in power and then people discover what they're really about, which is essentially dealing all the wealth of a nation, keeping it for themselves and surrounding themselves with uh, protection in Soviet Union, in the case of the KGB, so that people can't get to them. You know, when when people realize the, the extent to which they've been had by these frauds, they're ready to go on the warpath. So it's communist doctrine to line up and execute anyone and everyone who might possibly be a uh, opponent, you know, a viable opponent in the future, and then throw in a bunch of innocent people uh, for good luck. As um, Felix Dzerzhinsky said, they complain when we kill them for no reason. They complain when we kill them for seeming trifles. Let's see what they say when we kill them for absolutely no reason at all. Well, you you were you were describing the uh, the megalomania there, and yeah. and as you went down point by point by point, the yeah. image of Hillary Clinton got clearer and clearer and clearer in my mind. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Where does this woman get such conceit? Where does she get such pride? You know, she did well at Yale. Okay, good for her. But what has she ever shown? What has she ever done? that's been constructive and of benefit to anyone but herself. When? Name it. I'd love to hear it. Nothing that she proposed, none of the ideas that she came up with are of any value to anybody except Hillary Clinton and maybe her, and maybe the rest of their family, but mostly it just Hillary. When I want to dig into the title of the book a little bit because you talk about motives, and I, I'd like to marry the motives behind these people with the people who actually fall for what they're selling. Right. Well, as I said, Marx was, well, he was extremely greedy and selfish. He was filled with anger and hatred towards pretty much everybody. But the way it, uh, the, the kind of personality uh, profile that you get from him is this man, he was the pinnacle of the example of the kind of people he claimed to hate and want to destroy in their world revolution. I mean, he favored slavery. He called blacks uh, what are today, uh, you know, unusable names. The proletariat, who he supposedly was going to save, he called them stupid boys, rogues, asses. And as I said earlier, he was bottomlessly greedy and selfish. He um, impregnated his maid and then claimed that it was Engels who actually did it. <laughs> and Engels didn't want to upset him, so Engels raised the child of his own and only on his deathbed 
admitted that it was actually Marx's. You, to get an idea of the Marx's impact on the, his family, two of his daughters committed suicide and a son-in-law committed suicide. Three of his children died of starvation. And when his wife, who left him twice, but for unknown reasons, came back both times, when his wife was running around trying to raise enough money for a coffin for one of the children who had just died, oh, Marx, was, Marx was employing a libidinous but otherwise useless secretary because he claimed it was important for a man of his stature to keep up appearances. It sounds like me like Engels was almost taken in by by Marx's facade. Well, you know, y you might think that, although Engels was uh, a similar uh, personality. One of the things that, that they all said about Marx was that he hated everything and everybody, and his goal was destruction. I mean, they say in the manifesto, the communists disdain to conceal their views and aims. They openly declare their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. Uh, <clears throat> many contemporaries that I, I quote in this book, an Italian communist, Giuseppe Mazzini, called him a destructive spirit whose heart was filled with hatred rather than love of mankind. Despite the communist egalitarianism which Marx preaches, he is the absolute ruler of his party and he tolerates no opposition. Engels said, he stretches his arms far away in the air, the wicked fist is clenched, he rages without ceasing as if 10,000 devils had caught him by the air. And Mikhail Bakunin, who was the leading anarchist of the day, said one has to worship Marx in order to be loved by him, one at has at least to fear him in order to be tolerated by him. Marx is extremely proud, up to dirt and madness. I mean, these are indictments from the people he worked with. And Engels, despite all of his observation of Marx, went with him and uh, became his partner for life. But Engels was also intent on destroying uh, society. And he says it just as clearly as, as Marx did. They were all intent on overthrowing existing conditions throughout society and replacing it with their own vision. Now, one thing Marx did have, one advantage he did have, was that he was a very gifted writer. And so perhaps that's what took in these people. But my belief is what took, took them in is what takes in most uninformed leftists today. And I have to say, 95% of all leftists are utterly uninformed as to the truth of issues. It's a combination of things. First of all, it is a ideology that sells itself as the liberation of the poor and oppressed. It appeals to one's sense of compassion. And it also appeals, I think, to um, individuals' uh, hero complexes. You know, here's this great new idea that 
if we can shepherd it forward, we can be the ones, we can be the heroes to save the earth. We can be the heroes to liberate the earth. And that kind of simplistic thinking goes along with those people who, while they may be smart, they're lazy, they are um, not normally accepted by the outside world, or if they are accepted, they aren't, um, they don't really feel a part of it. This is something that they can be a part of. This is something cool and different. This is a place where people who are undistinguished can distinguish themselves. It goes right back to the primary personality characteristics of Marx and all his followers. That is pride, pride, egotism. These people are all filled with pride. And that is the great attraction. They feel like they can become conquering heroes. And in fact, Whitaker Chambers, who had been a communist, uh, he became a Christian and then became a whistleblower and identified Soviet spies, most famously um, Alger Hiss, working in communist cells within the State Department. He says, communism is the great alternative faith of mankind. Like all great faiths, its force derives from a simple vision. Other ages have had great visions. They have always been different versions of the same vision, the vision of God and man's relationship to God. The communist vision is the vision of man without God. It is the vision of man's mind displacing God as the creative intelligence of the world. Now, what kind of ego trip is that? <laughs> but it's exactly the temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Satan said to them, ye shall be as gods. And that is the great attraction to these people. The fact that they don't have to answer to anybody. We're talking with James Simpson about his book, Who Was Karl Marx? Um, the Men, the Motives, and the Menace Behind Today's Rampaging Left. Uh, we will be right back after this. You're listening to Underground USA. I'm Frank Salvato. Don't go anywhere. Handcrafted exotic blend teas at the lowest shipping cost anywhere. Hi, I'm CJ, owner of the Emerald Coast Tea Company. We ship our premium gourmet blends with Sindel, offering you the lowest shipping prices anywhere, while also being carbon neutral. Excellent tea at the right price. Check us out at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mom's tea. We're back with James Simpson. Uh, we're talking about his book, Who Was Karl Marx? The Men, the Motives, and the Menace Behind Today's Rampaging Left. Um, we touched on the ego. We touched on the pride. We touched on um, really how awful Karl Marx and his people were. I mean, yeah. I, I can't even imagine wanting to even sit down and, and listen to this jackass. Oh, um, when we When we look at 
the way the American Marxist is, for lack of a better term, front and center today in the Biden administration, um, how does yesterday's Marxism and today's American Marxism, how did they meld? That's that's a good question, because really, you know, uh, of course, Mark Levin has come out with a new book called American Marxism. There's nothing special or different about American Marxism. What what everybody needs to understand is, first of all, stop calling it Marxism. Call it communism, because that's what it is. Okay, and communism, most people don't understand what communism is. Just as people are taken in by this whole notion of solving all the world's problems by robbing from the rich and giving to the poor and, you know, dispensing the world's wealth equally to everybody, which, of course, they claim that that's what it's about. But, of course, it's not what it's about at all. Communism, the sales job is what people mistake as a genuine ideology. You know, they mistake um, Marx's Das Kapital and all the things that they've written as a deep treatise on economics. It's not. It's a a sales pitch by a seedy, selfish, used car salesman. It is a sales pitch. The truth power of communism is it is a very clever and proven to be of unsurpassed uh, ability to seize and hold power and the wealth that goes with it. So you have these folks that have this God complex, right? And they think that they are and should be the rulers of the world. And they come up with this foolish, stupid ridiculous plan of communism to uh, reorder the economic system of the world, an economic system which, by the way, could be ridiculed by any Econ 101 student worth his salt. Um, but they discover, <laughs> you know, when before communism was ever imposed in the world, they could imagine it to be anything they wanted it to be. And they could congratulate themselves on how brilliant they were and how wonderful they were for want to, wanting to visit this ideology on the world that would solve all the worlds of problems, right? Mm-hmm. But the trouble is, once they implemented, if they were ever really interested in the economics of Marxism in the first place, they quickly discovered almost overnight, that it's an absolute failure. The only thing that's successful about it is that these people find themselves delivered into the seat of power in a way that is virtually impossible, short of death, to remove them from. And that's because that's because these people basically, <laughs> at the heart, are megalomaniacs. They rejoice in having this power, and then they rationalize taking all the wealth for themselves and living high off the hog for the rest of their lives. And anybody that challenges it, well, you're not compassionate. You're not in favor of the poor. You're not in favor of egalitarianism. You're trying to destroy our revolution, which is going to save the world. You need to die. I mean, that's how they you know, present it. 
But the fact of the matter is, it's a perfect vehicle for power-mad, greedy, calculating, immoral people to seize absolute power and the absolute wealth that goes with it. You, Boy, you, you just talks about the wealth. That's a key part of it. You just really described the Biden family. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And now, you know, Biden has promoted soft communism his entire life. He's been a leftist, a hard leftist his entire life. And, you know, that gets lost in all of the snow job that they're putting out about Biden. But he's always been a leftist. He was uh, supported in his first run by the Council for a Livable World, which was um, founded by Leo Zillard, who the Soviets considered their most reliable source for information about the atomic bomb. Zillard was an atomic uh, nuclear physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project, and later he became one of the Soviets' key sources so that the Soviets could get the bomb. And if you follow Biden's record, he has been uh, he's fought our nuclear upgrades. He's fought Star Wars. He fought anything that would have uh, helped us to challenge the Soviet Union and world communism. And that's because he owed them a debt. And I don't know if you know, I don't think he really cares. Uh, He's he's a leftist. He's taken on all of the leftist uh, mantras. But I think that at the bottom, he's just a greedy little thug. I was opining to a friend last night that uh, it's I'm starting to to be of the opinion that he really just wanted to live in the White House. And now that he's there, he doesn't care what happens. Well, no, I think it's much more than that. He lived in the White House before. Well, he was vice president. I guess he didn't live there, but um, he, uh, he lived at the Naval Observatory, which is another kind of cool place. But anyway, no, whether he is, sim- well, he's being directed because, frankly, his mind isn't uh, capable of handling that job uh, without support from others. But he was put in there to finish the job that Obama started and Hillary was supposed to finish but was inconveniently uh, prevented from doing so by the election of uh, President Trump. And everything he's doing follows the communist playbook. Everything he's doing, and, and I describe in this book, who was Karl Marx, all of the various strategies, how they were developed, how they use them, why they use them, who brought them forward, who carried the water into this country, and how those agendas and ideas got infiltrated into all the institutions of our society. It is a strategy. It's a strategy created by the international communist movement led by the Soviet Union, and I don't call them Russia. They haven't changed one iota. (laughs) It just changed their nameplates, and communist China. They're led by those two nations and then followed by all the other communist nations. And then those other nations that either want to get in on the on the spoils or are too afraid to oppose them. It's you an do. international movement. It is there's no such thing as American Marxism. 
there is application of the various many strategies of communism to America based on their evaluation of what are those areas where America is most vulnerable to exploitation, attack, and division. It's a sophisticated divide and conquer strategy. That's all. You you hit on t- on two things that I want to, and I hate to use this term because Jen, Jen Psaki uses it all the time, but I want to circle back to, you were talking about Biden and the Biden administration being, being directed. Where does Valerie Jarrett fit in all of this? Well, you know, uh, Obama, how did you describe her as the left side of his brain or something like that? Um, she fits in. I'm not, I believe she lives with the Obamas at their mansion in uh, Washington, D.C. So, which, is, which is within <laughs> rock throwing distance of the White House. The White House, yeah. No, I, I, I would say that, you know, um, the Obama home, the Obama administration, Obama for America, uh, the Obama Foundation, I'd say those are the shadow White House. And what's her name? Uh, uh, Jared, Valerie Jared, I'm sure has a big say in it because, as you know, Obama was heavily influenced, having been mentored for eight years by Frank Marshall Davis, mm-hmm. who was a Communist Party USA member and very likely Soviet agent. And Frank Marshall Davis was employed during his time in Chicago by Vernon Jarrett, Mm -hmm. who was the uh, editor of the communist newspaper that uh, or the publisher of the communist newspaper that uh, Frank Marshall Davis wrote for. And of course, Valerie Jarrett is Vernon Jarrett's daughter-in-law. And so all of these people come from a communist background. And all the people that Obama put around him when he was at the White House and up to that time were hardcore, hardcore communists, many of whom he met through the um, or was was told about through Frank Marshall Davis, who were exclusively with the communists in Chicago. So now we've got and it's it's my opinion that she's she, there are puppet strings that come back from the Biden administration to her little fingers. Uh, um you also talked about the world movement being something that is enjoined in by the Soviet Union and China. Yeah. Uh, where does the the relationship between Joe Biden and Biden's family in China play into this? Well, consider what he just did in Afghanistan. It is a betrayal of that nation of almost unprecedented proportions. He has set up that nation for a failure that will happen along the lines of what happened at the end of Vietnam when the last of our people were being taken out by helicopter and you had Vietnamese who knew they were going to be murdered by the communists hanging on to the uh, skids of the helicopters and falling off. I mean, he has set up Afghanistan for the same kind of failure with no prior warning. All of the troops left Bagram Airport in one night and just vanished and abandoned that base entirely. And the next day and the days after, it was looted, fleeced from top to bottom, including weapons that were left there. And it's un, un, unimaginable why anybody with, with any concern over United States or its allies could ever do something like that. Well, guess what? Communist China has its eyes on Afghanistan. 
and has had its eyes on Afghanistan for many, many years. Afghanistan is rich in gold, uh, lithium, all kinds of minerals, and that alone would be reason for, enough for us to stay. But it is also such a strategic location. So basically, he has handed Afghanistan to the communist Chinese because the Taliban. Well, they've already they've already come out and said that uh, China's their friend. Yes, yes. In fact, my good friend Trevor Loudon says that China actually created the Taliban, and that would not surprise me at all. Because none of these none of these uh, so-called Islamic terrorist group work in a vacuum. They're all financed, armed, trained, and assisted by state actors. And as with most of the Muslim Brotherhood organizations, that state actor was the Soviet Union, uh, and I believe still remains the Soviet Union, and with the Taliban, communist China. And you can't really draw too hard of a distinction between communist China and Russia because they are allies and they will always, all communists will always work together to defeat uh, the capitalist uh, West. Let's pivot here. And I want to talk about um, the failure of, of communism, uh, where we're experiencing something that's happening in Cuba uh, that really right now is a coin flip in the air. I believe if the if the Cubans who are striving to achieve freedom actually use one of Alinsky's rules and keep the pressure on, they could see a transition there. But we're seeing a 60 plus year experiment in communism in that island, which was prosperous and thriving when when the revolution took place. We're seeing the abstract failure of communism in that country. Why aren't we in the United States looking at that and saying, wow, it doesn't work. Why are we going down this path? <laughs> well, I think most people are unaware of that. You know, most people are unaware of all the facts surrounding it. You know, here's the interesting thing. Another reason why so many people glom on to the left and will identify themselves as progressives or leftists or these days even Marxists. And that's because popular press has made it cool. You know, the press, the uh, universities, and even now high schools, public schools, Hollywood, all of these levers of popular culture, they really, you know, point the direction that our culture heads in, have been deliberately over many decades infiltrated by the communists so that they can control the narrative. And so once that narrative has been established, that Marxism is cool, and oh yes, if you uh, think something else, if you think critical race theory is uh, bad, well then you're just a racist and a bigot and a hater. Uh, anything that you think is bad uh, in there from the pers their perspective makes you a hater. You're worthy to be canceled. You're worthy to be fired from your job. You're worthy to be excommunicated from the family of man. And that is a strategy that I talk, discuss at length in the book as well. And so all the momentum, whether you believe in it or not, all the momentum is for you to either go along because, hey, you think it's cool and you want to have an open mind to these new radical ideas 
And that in itself is a little bit of an ego trip that all young people <laughs> get into, right? All young people want to be rebels. That's so, the, te the teenage years, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hire a teenager while he still knows everything. You know, it's my favorite bumper sticker. Um, you know, and so it's cool. And then for those who suspect maybe it's not so cool or know that it's not so cool, they'll go along just because they're terrified. They're terrified of, of having, of being canceled, of being attacked and smeared. And they will go so far as to disown friends, relatives, neighbors who, you know, come out against this stuff not because they necessarily disagree, but because they don't want to be um, smeared with the same brush. You know, it's a matter of uh, herd survival, if you will. Most people uh, just don't want to challenge the prevailing narrative because they don't see any upside to it. And so that prevailing narrative has become more and more hateful, more and more threatening I call it psychological terrorism. That's a that's a very good moniker to put onto it. Yep. You know, I mean, especially with the cancel culture, people are yep. in fear for losing their jobs. Yep. Uh, they won't say anything because they don't want their kids to be ostracized at school. Yep. 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 You know, ostracized, even attacked, and it's become physically dangerous. You know, that's why so many people are going along with this whole thing. When when we look at the mindset that that is, it's almost as if the Marxists who have been pushing communism in the United States have been conditioning the populace for this thing that the World Economic Forum is pushing called the Great Reset. Right. I can see how communism plays into the transformative part yeah. of getting the Great Reset going, but just as in every revolution – I can see the elitists in the Great Reset looking at the Marxists as useful idiots and thinking that they are going to dispatch them as soon as they achieve their goal. What's your thought on that? Well, if that's what they think, then they are sorely mistaken. Uh, the exact opposite of true. Mao said all power comes out of the barrel of a gun. And he's exactly right. And these wealthy elitists who have fallen in with this, why have they fallen in with it? Well, because they see this as a great opportunity for them to become even more fabulously wealthy. You know, there's a good uh, column out today about how COVID and the shutdown destroyed huge numbers of small businesses to benefit large businesses who then stepped in and took the place of those small businesses. I believe that COVID, it was a, a lab leak. I believe it was, well, I'm certain it was a bioweapon, but it wasn't ready for prime time yet. And they had not intended to release it at that time. It leaked out through that weapons lab, which is notorious for poor uh, safety standards. And then what followed was the communists stumbling all over themselves to hide the fact that they had done this. But in that very same moment that they were trying to hide it and hide their complicity, they said to themselves, well, hey, let's make sure that we don't get it here, but let's not stop it from getting to the rest of the world. Let's, let's try this out as a practice run. Mm -hmm. They've already said that they intend to use a bioweapon uh, to, in 
a Chinese general's own word, clean, clean up America by killing one between 100 and 200 million of us with a bioweapon because they want to colonize the United States and take it for themselves. But they can't do that as long as we're here. You know, they're, they're not, there's not, not enough room for them and us. So they're going to clean up America using a bioweapon. So I believe this was a trial run. But once it was released, they said, well, let's take full advantage of this. And then all of the leftists in you know the world, all, all of the top elitists are hardcore leftists. And a big part of the reason is, well, it's for one thing, that's where the money is. But another big part of the reason is that they want to be on the right side of history. You know, they see communist uh, strategies and tactics as those that are going to ultimately win the day. And they don't want to be on the wrong side uh, when that happens. So they've all jumped in with it. Um, the United Nations, as I state in the book, and I articulate with a whole chapter in my Red Green Axis book, uh, was founded by communists. And it has always been seen by the Soviet Union as simply a an arm of this their foreign policy. It's not even, you know, every single um, UN secretary general has been a communist or a socialist, every single one, never an American. And America gives the lion's share more than any other country, more than all of the communist countries put together. Yet the communist countries are the ones that benefit and all pretty much all UN policies um, are designed to go against the West. So you have the UN and then you have Davos and all of these wealthy elitists who are down with the UN agenda and the UN is just the communist agenda. Uh, they're down with uh, all of that. Because... Oh, yeah, now, and now we've got the Secretary of State inviting the UN in to investigate systemic racism in the United yeah. States. There you go. And they'll find it. <clears throat> of course, they'll find it. And they will um, accuse guys like you of me of being the you know, progenitors of this uh, whole uh, white supremacy um, movement, <laughs> which doesn't <laughs> exist. Um, but but let me just tell you, because one of the most important radicals that nobody's ever heard of, I discuss at great length in this book, and he wrote a three-page manual that became the blueprint for communist revolution the world over. In this three-page pamphlet, he lists the order of execution for those who are not going to survive the revolution. It's going to be a big chunk of society. And let me read the first two. Above all, those who are especially inimical to the revolutionary organization must be destroyed. Their violent and sudden deaths will produce the utmost panic in the government, depriving it of its will to action by removing the cleverest and most energetic supporters. Now, of course, I would argue that the government has gone over to the dark side, so we're not going to find too many people like <laughs> that in the government, but you can find people like that among people like you and me, President Trump, Michael Flynn, you know, people who are never going to knuckle under these to these lowlifes. But here's the second group, and just think of this. Uh, this is priceless. The second group comprises those who will be spared for the time being 
in order that by a series of monstrous acts, they may drive the people into inevitable revolt. Now, isn't he talking about Antifa and BLM there? It's, it certainly sounds like it, doesn't it? Isn't he talking about all of the criminal aliens that come to this country and rape children? Isn't he talking about the refugees that come to this country and engage in active terrorism or mass murder and then get slapped on the wrist for it? There's that guy in Texas who uh, is responsible for something like smothering something like 26 seniors yeah. in, in the uh, uh, you know retirement homes that he worked at. And there may have been many, many more. He's not going to face the death penalty. I, I mean, it's just beyond belief. Now, that's number two. You'll like this one. The third category, now, remember, these are all people who are going to be put up by the revolutionaries. Now, we're just assuming here that the communists have won this country, they've taken over, and now they're going to be cleaning up America and getting rid of people who are going to get in the way of absolute power. The third category consists of a great many brutes in high positions distinguished neither by their cleverness nor their energy, while enjoying riches, influence, power, and high position by virtue of their rank. These must be exploited in every possible way. They must be implicated and embroiled in our affairs. Their dirty secrets must be ferreted out, and they must be transformed into slaves. Their power, influence, and connection, their wealth, and their energy will form an inexhaustible treasure and a precious help in all our undertakings. Who comes to mind there? Well, there are a few people who come <laughs> to mind there. Our current president, for one. Absolutely. I was thinking them and, and and just about everybody who likes to get in front of a camera who exists on the left side of the aisle. Yep, yep. The yep. book's name is Who Was Karl Marx? The Men, the Motives, and the Menace Behind Today's Rampaging Left. The author is James Simpson. Jim, I want to thank you very much for coming on and talking with us today. Um, a very important book. I think it explains a lot for people uh, who are who are troubled by what's happening today but don't have both feet in the water when it comes to being up to speed on politics. Yeah. Um, as we move forward and as this movement and it's not going to be slowing down anytime soon, I'm afraid. As yeah. it progresses, I hope we can talk to you again. Well, thank you. Can I uh, make a last plug for the book? Absolutely. Yeah. So who was Karl Marx, the men, the motives, and the menace behind today's rampaging American left? And you can find it by going to crisisnow.net. That's my archive page where I have a direct link to the Amazon page where you can order it either by Kindle or in print, or you can go to the Amazon page directly and search for who was Karl Marx. It is among the top bestsellers in the globalism category in both print and Kindle. It's 150 pages. It's written in a very conversational style. If you want to teach your teenage kids what is actually going on, this is a perfect, perfect gift for them. It's short, easy to read, and yet it will blow their minds. And if you read it, it will blow your mind. I, uh, this is the feedback I have gotten from people who are very knowledgeable. Finally, 
it has the longest chapter was is called back from the brink it describes how we may be able to work our way out of this fortunately there's a lot of people out there that are already showing us the way and they're having success but we have to magnify those successes and we have to uh, expand those successes into a whole host of areas and i am create a very detailed presentation in the last chapter, Back from the Brink, a Comprehensive Plan to Save America. And very important book. Please get this book. Please read it. Please share it with your children, especially, so that they can understand and not be indoctrinated by this mad, mad agenda the left is pushing today. You've got to put Jim's book into your toolbox and the days of sitting on the couch and thinking somebody else is going to do something to save the country are over. It is it is up to every single one of us to get up and fight for the freedom that that we should have the yep. liberty that we've that we've actually allowed the government to take from us and yep. to make sure that we have something to pass on to the next generation because as as a lot of people have been saying who've come from countries that that were steeped in oppression if yep. the united states falls there's nowhere else to go no that's right the entire world will collapse you're listening to underground usa i'll be right back with closing thoughts i want to thank jim one more time and uh get his book it's important did you know that Yopon is the only tea plant indigenous to the United States? Hi, I'm CJ, the owner of Emerald Coast Tea Company. We have a line of Yopon teas and Yopon tea blends that will open your eyes to tea that is literally made in the USA. Check out our entire line of teas at www. EmeraldCoastTeaCompany.com Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. That our nation has slowly been conned into accepting any measure of Marxism, of communism, is troubling. It signals that we have not been eternally vigilant of the freedoms and liberties our framers codified and which so many fellow Americans have exhausted time, treasure, and their lives in protecting. We must, we must stop pretending that this will work itself out or that someone else will pick up the banner and lead the way. We must also stop believing that the only solutions to our current predicament are the ones we believe are the best. We, the Constitution-respecting, freedom-loving people of the United States must collaze into an intelligent assembly of determined individuals who center our beliefs and efforts on reestablishing the unquestionable dominance of the Bill of Rights over the Marxist-based nanny state policies that have delivered us to the doorway of oligarchic fascism. I can't tell you how many times I've heard immigrants immigrants from countries steeped in oppression, asking why we're allowing the cancerous stain of Marxism and communism to metastasize on American soil. Their question is hard to answer. But one thing they declare cannot be questioned. If the United States falls any further down into the abyss of Marxism and communism, those who seek and desire true freedom 
will have nowhere to go. The last true beacon of freedom in the world will have been extinguished. We have a great task ahead of us, but it is a task perfectly fitted to Americans defeating oppression and tyranny. You're listening to Underground USA. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter and check out everything we do over at undergroundusa.com. My name is Frank Salvato. We'll be right back after this. Thank you. 